This is the ID Fanatic Podcast, coming to you from beautiful Midtown Toronto on Tuesday, July 6th, 2021. The podcast where we talk to real instructional designers and sometimes their birds for one half hour about their lives, their careers, and how they keep it all together. My guest today is Gwen Navarrete Clapper of Kauai, who runs a family business with her husband and son and one other person. His, uh, the other person is, uh, oh, Gwen is coming to mind. That's not right, is it? Jem. Jem. Yeah, she's yes. in the is she, is she also in your family? Uh, no, she's actually, she used to work for my family in the Philippines. And so uh-huh. that's how I kind of, kind of grabbed her. So she, worked for, she worked for a relative and then I, I grabbed uh-huh. her when she started her own virtual assistant business. So, so how did you uh, end up deciding to start a family business? Uh, you know, it's interesting. My son is uh, autistic, and when he was in high school, I realized that as somebody in learning and development and talent development, that I had a responsibility to try to find him or help him find meaningful employment after he graduated from college, mm-hmm. which he did, and he's now working, so I'm really proud of him. But I realized that as a you know as a profession we're actually Ooh. quite unprepared for people with learning challenges. Yeah. And uh, so I decided to start a business to sort of combat that. So I started my business more along the lines as a social enterprise mm-hmm. to uh, address learning barriers in the workforce. So not just for people with disabilities, but for people who might have low literacy, for people who might speak English as a foreign language, um, and then for people also with, uh, you know, just learning challenges in general because the older we get the more the the more difficult it is for us to learn so Mm -hmm. eventually everybody will wind up with some kind of learning difficulty in some way or another and that's really why i started my business not necessarily to make money off of companies who want to do this but just as a social enterprise to say okay i'm gonna fund Mm -hmm. i'm gonna use whatever i you know get from my clients and i'm gonna fund this part of my business that i want to establish which is you know really helping people and corporations uh, develop curriculum that is user friendly for pretty much everybody. So, is your business a nonprofit? No, it's not. Um, I decided not to go as a nonprofit because there's too many rules. It's uh-huh. a very, it's very regulated, and it's very hard to run a nonprofit. I think eventually, what I might do is I might, um, you know, start a nonprofit arm of my business. But right now, it's a lot easier for me to operate as a social enterprise if I operate as a limited liability company, which is mm. a tax structure here in the U.S. Yeah. So, and um, um, your clients, though, you mentioned corporations. Your clients on your website, anyway, it says your clients are small businesses and nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Does it extend beyond that? Um, not for the most part. Most of them are nonprofits and small businesses. Um, I think the largest corporation I've done is probably about maybe 100 employees. So still still on the small-ish scales. Anything under 500 employees is considered a small business here. But the most employees <laughs> I've ever um, dealt with as a for a client has been about 100 employees. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but you've decided you've, you're working with your husband and son in the business. Yes, I do most of it. Uh, yeah. I am the day-to-day person. My husband still has an outside job. Oh, um, I see. Uh, he just helps me as far as like finances and accounting and insurance, all the stuff that I don't like to do. 
my son, his role is more to act as an advisor. So he doesn't work in the day-to-day operations either. He keeps me intact. So in other words, he reminds me of what the mission is and the vision is almost every day. And so when there's a decision that has to do with our brand or a project that I think may or may not align with the mission and vision, then I actually talk to him about it and we'll come to a decision together. Mm -hmm. He came up with the name for the company. He came up with the colors for the company. You know, all of it has meaning and all of it has symbolism. So for example, the colors are blue and orange, which are the awareness colors for sensory sensory processing disorder oh, really? which is very yeah which is very common for people with autism yeah i had no idea mm-hmm. so my son comes up with this everything that we do has some kind of meaning behind it and so he really helps me with that because i think that it's nice to be intentional about things that you do so he helps me with that intention uh-huh. so describe one of your projects just so we get an idea of what it, what it looks like is it building from the bottom up or consulting uh, it can be both. Um, so one of the most recent projects I had was there is an association of employers here in Hawaii, and they actually have run a supervisor series for their members. And they needed somebody to come in and develop a diversity, equity, and inclusion piece to this supervisor series. So they actually hired me to come in and do the instructional design, develop the curriculum, and then what I did was I trained the trainer yeah. And I had then I handed the curriculum off to them. And that's this is what they used to train their members now, I think once a month is what they're doing. That's a typical project. What kind of challenges or uh, barriers did you encounter in, in developing it? You know, actually, it was mostly along the lines of um, what could fit in their two and a half hours. And Two, with a diversity, equity, and inclusion, you're trying to make sure that they're just not checking a box, right? So right. really trying to make it meaningful for their members and really try to, in, in as small as way, you know, and as much as, as possible, even in this small way, to instigate some kind of change. And so I approached it from a supervisor lens because it was a supervisor training series. Mm-hmm. And that's how I kind of was able to say, well, this is what you can do as a supervisor in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's where they ran with it. What did you want to be when you grew up? What did I want to be when I grew up? A yeah. doctor, actually. I wanted to be a pediatrician when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And then I reached uh, honors chemistry in high school. And I realized that I was not as good at science as I thought I was. <laughs> so I decided to go a different route. And um, eventually, I actually wound up in hospitality, uh, which is where I actually took my first HR classes. And one of them was training and development. Uh-huh. And I fell in love with it. You live in Hawaii. You're from the Philippines, and I see you spend a lot of time in Las Vegas. And how did you get to Las Vegas? I actually moved there right after college. So I, again, my hosp- I had a hospitality degree for my mm-hmm. bachelor's. And I decided what better place to hone my skills than Las Vegas. So I picked up everything that I had. I was living in New Jersey at the time, and I went to school in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. And basically just drove west. So I drove across the country and landed in Las Vegas. I was in my early 20s. My family thought I was absolutely nuts because I didn't know anybody there. I didn't have any family there. You know, and, and in the Philippines, family is everything. So to not be around family was very strange to them. So I and- spent a long time in retail, eventually winding up in the talent development field while I was in retail. 
Are you an so accidental trainer like uh, so many people yeah. are claiming to be? <laughs> exactly, exactly. There's usually two schools of thought, right? There's there's the people who are subject matter experts who become trainers, and then there's the trainers who become subject matter experts, and then there's some in between. I was a little bit of both. I had taken a training and development course in college, so I knew a little bit of the you know the theory. I knew about Addy, and I knew about a little bit of the evaluation, but I hadn't put any of that into practice. Mm-hmm. But when a position came up in the training department for a training specialist, I jumped at it. And that's how I wound up, you know, really learning a lot about because we did everything. We did instructional design. We did training, you know, training facilitation. We did the evaluation. We did everything. So um, that's how I wound up in the talent development field. And then when I unfortunately I was laid off from that job uh, in 2009 and I just decided that talent development was where I wanted to be Mm. and I never looked back. And so you did a master's in training and performance improvement. When I was did. that? I actually just finished that. I want to say recently, uh, 2018 is when I graduated. Mm. It took me a while to get my master's degree because I was also in the process of moving from Las Vegas to the Philippines and then from the Philippines to Hawaii. And so, you know, just life happens. But um, I ended up graduating in 2018 and I just started my doctorate last year. And then hopefully... I promised my husband that this would be the end of schooling as we know it. (laughs) (laughs) So where did you meet your husband and how did you get to Hawaii? Uh, I met him in Las Vegas, believe it or not. So he had moved down. He had moved to Vegas for a job Uh and I had moved to Vegas for, you know, to work. I had lived there for so many years already. He moved to Vegas for a job and typical, like typical stereotypical thing. We met at a bar and, uh, you know, we just, clicked and got along where where else is there to meet in las vegas exactly exactly (laughs) you know we were both part of the same social group and so we met at this function that they had and kind of it kind of went from there but when he was laid off in 2013 my contract with the state of nevada was actually ending which was a really interesting contract i was training their nurses and doctors all around the state on how to use the state's immunization registry Mm -hmm. and um and I was designing the curriculum for that as well. So again, we did pretty much a little bit of everything. Um, my contract was ending. And so we decided we were going to pick up and go to the Philippines for a year. Mm-hmm. And about six months after we were there, my husband got a job offer to come to Hawaii. So that's how we ended up in Hawaii. There you go. Um, so do you absolutely love living in Hawaii? I do. I do. It's not to say that there aren't any issues here because there are. But I do love living here. The people are, for the most part, very nice. The weather is conducive to me. It's close enough to the Philippines where I can just hop on a straight flight. It's close enough to the East Coast. So it's kind of like I'm in the middle of everywhere that I need to be. Hmm. Um, Was there any kind of culture shock uh, moving there? I had to adapt really quickly because I look like I grew up here. Mm-hmm. So because I look like I grew up here, you know, people have different expectations of me. So I had to adapt to the culture pretty quickly after I moved here. I think it helped that we were in the Philippines just prior to moving here. Yeah. So it wasn't like moving to a completely different country. It was like, okay, we're in the States, but it's sort of like a different country, but we're in the States. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but we, I, we do. We, lo- we love living here. It's just, you know, every day can be a beach day. It's just a great place to live. Expensive, but great place oh, yeah? to live. <laughs> mm. I wouldn't have thought so, really. It's yeah, expensive it's to get expensive. there. It's expensive to get here. It's expensive to live here. I'll just give you an example. A gallon of milk can cost upwards of $8. A so. gallon. All right. Oh. I'm sorry. I'm in Canada, so we have... <laughs> I, 
I buy four liters at a time, which is more than a gallon. <laughs> and that's, well, I pay $10 because I buy organic. Is that organic uh-huh. you're talking about or just off there? No, just like just Nielsen. Regular, All right. So that's like five and a half here. Yeah. yeah. The median house price here just topped a million dollars, which is a shame because it's actually forcing a lot of the local um, population to actually move out of Hawaii. Where are they going? A lot of them go to Vegas. Vegas is what's considered to be the ninth island. Really? Um, Vegas is inexpensive? Vegas is not um, as expensive as you would think it is. I mean, I lived there for 15 years. There are some things that are expensive and some things that aren't. Uh, The great thing about Vegas is that there's always somewhere that you can go. There's something there for almost everybody. Great. Looks like you spent a lot of time at the Red Cross, American Red Cross volunteer, and then working for the Red Cross in Hawaii. I actually never, I was never a paid employee. A lot of people don't know this, but 90% of the workforce at the Red Cross is actually volunteer based. Oh. But um, yeah, I do a lot for the Red Cross. I actually help them design their curriculum for their national um, supervisor. And is that all, is that in classroom training? It's actually all virtual. Oh. So on any given day, I will wake up early in the morning and I will, you know, train a virtual class that consists of people from all over the country. Um, most, and some, some international as well, because we have a presence on military bases overseas since it's interesting. So on your website, you list sustainable development goals. What role does uh, sustainable development play in your life or, uh, your philosophy? So those sustainable development goals are part of the UN sustainable development goals. And really what I wanted to do is I wanted to fund causes that I care about. So for every, you know, every client that I have, every sale that I make, I contribute about 5% of my overall revenue to um, nonprofits around the world. And I do that through this organization called B1G1. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are an international nonprofit that works with nonprofits around the world. And then they also work with businesses to contribute to these nonprofits. And so that's just kind of how it works. So for every sale that I make, I choose a, I choose a cause that I care about and I contribute to that cause. And each cause ties to the sustainable development goals of the UN. One of the ones that I really want to kind of elevate a little bit more is decent work, which is you know making sure that people find equitable work and meaningful work um, that they're paid fairly, that there's no you know shenanigans going on as far as child labor is concerned, mm-hmm. those types of things. So decent work is pretty important. I do a lot of the ones with health, um, health as far as that's concerned around the world, because if you're not healthy, you can't work. <laughs> so yeah. there's it kind of all ties in together. And then there's a little bit, you know, there's a couple other causes that they're all related to. So usually the causes that I contribute to, they have multiple sustainable goals that they're related to. And that's kind of how the ticker goes up, I guess. No, it looks very impressive. You've given away like 100 hours of labor already. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, 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 it, and what, basically what I try to do is I try to find something that will train somebody to do something. Yeah. So a lot of vocational training, I, I have funded um, training of teachers, uh, training of nurses. So anything that has to do with um, some type of training of people in developing countries is what I usually fund because it makes, it makes sense. It's tied to my business. It's what I believe about. And it also ties into my vision of creating a world where no, nobody has any barriers as far as learning is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, a delivering training on cell phones out there? 
you know, sometimes they are, um, sometimes they deliver, but a lot of times they do what they call vocational training. So they'll bring, um, for example, they do vocational training in the Philippines and they'll bring them into a kitchen and they'll, it's usually whichever is the most, um, popular industry in that particular area is what they'll try to do training in. One of the causes that I do fund is, I believe it's in either Malaysia or Indonesia, mm-hmm. but they actually teach blind people how to use computers. So there is a lot of digital training because we're trying to also bridge the digital gap. You know, So one of the causes that I like to, I'm trying to figure out how I can contribute to is a school in Australia that teaches the Aboriginal community about digital literacy. They do quite a bit of mobile training because that's what they have accessible to them. And how do you find out what's going on, like the school in Australia? Um, it's basically on the website um, what the school is, and then I do a little bit of vetting. I, I do some research on the school. It's easier for me to do it in the Philippines because I know who the big nonprofits are, and I'm, I'm very familiar with them uh-huh. for other countries. it's uh, I basically just do a little bit of research on what the, what the organization is about. Um, but the, the organization itself that, you know, kind of bridges the gap between the businesses and the nonprofits, they do a lot of their due diligence as well because they are an international 501c3. So they actually do a lot of research on the organization and they provide that information, but then I'll, I'll Google them and you know kind of look at them as well. But that's how I, I find them. And then I basically just donate all of the proceeds through the, the B1G1 website. Hmm. For our listeners, uh, Gwen and I both appeared at this conference, this online conference a couple of weeks ago called Welcome Into the Awesome and run by L&D Cares and uh, GLDC, the, uh, the weekly meetup. And it was a conference for speakers who had never spoken at a conference before. Mm-hmm. And I found it rather nerve-wracking. How did, how did you feel about it? <laughs> I was a little flustered. You know, I yeah. had spoken, I had spoken um, for local conferences, but not yeah. anything of that caliber and not anything of a, uh, at a virtual conference level. I don't know if I would have done it again because it was four o'clock in the morning, Hawaii time. Yeah. And I think, th- I think that added to my brain fog. <laughs> so I got through it. Um, you know, I think I did okay, but. Oh, you, uh, it, just, it, I don't always, think it showed. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay, you'll you'll take know. my Thank word you. for it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I'll take your word for it. You know, I think you did well too. I I actually listened to a little bit of yours. As yeah, well. I made a decision. I planned and planned, and then I decided. You know what? This is live. Let's just talk. <laughs> I decided to uh, allow myself to go on tangent and things because I don't know. Everything's too controlled these days. Yeah. But uh, I actually, when I applied for that, I decided I would see what other conferences were around, and mm-hmm. it. I ended up applying for. Uh, a live conference in November in the fall, uh, face-to-face. It's going to be in Orlando. It's run by the Learning Guild. Oh, okay. And uh, I, I got in. So oh, now, wow. I, ha- now I have to do a real conference. Congratulations. <laughs> That's exciting. And I'd forgotten what I had, what I had applied, <laughs> what I had sent them. <laughs> what you pitched. So I pitched them about uh, artificial intelligence and its future yeah, within the L and D community. Anyway, I think it'll be a lot of fun. You got to got to try everything once, right? Mm-hmm. So I was listening to your talk. You were talking about universal design, mm-hmm. and um, it was funny because we both 
ended up talking about the same thing in our in both of our talks from a design perspective. You talked about you did it on purpose. You were reading. I think I think I did it on purpose too. You were reading from the screen, mm-hmm. and then you brought to everybody's attention the fact that you were reading from the screen mm-hmm. because it's a no dome. It's mm-hmm. like oh no, don't do that. And I kind of did the same thing. And I was talking about cognitive load and some of my objections to the way that theory has been implemented. One of which is, you know, you shouldn't read. Well, I mean, generally, you shouldn't read from the screen comes from the idea that a lot of people give presentations where the screen is like awash with text and they just read through the whole thing. And that's basically what they do for the whole presentation. Mm-hmm. So it's turned into a general rule or a general no-no, I think, from that, from sort of the worst case scenario. But in general, I, I don't think it's terrible if you have uh, limited text to, uh, right. to sometimes do that. And then you get to see it and read it at the same time. It gives you – usually I make the words on the screen different. If I'm writing a course for somebody, I'll make the audio different from the words on the screen. The words on the mm-hmm. screen will be shorter and will be supporting the audio. But um, in a live presentation once in a while, I don't think it's such a bad thing. And you brought up the same point. How did you arrive at that? Um, I arrived at that, well, basically from a universal design for learning standpoint, I actually kind of was made aware of that when I had somebody in one of my classes, I had to design for somebody who was blind. Mm -hmm. And so even if the words were different, you really want to, as much as possible, provide the same learning experience for people, regardless of what their challenges are. And so that is where I really learned that, you know, reading from the screen is not necessarily a bad thing, especially if you have somebody in your class who can't, can't read it for whatever reason, either they're blind or they have low literacy or, uh, you know, they have cataracts, you know, or yeah. whatever their whatever their issue is. It's that's so, true. That's There's true. a lot of assumptions we make about the mm-hmm. capabilities of people who are sitting in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and that's where I that's where I really learned that was when I had to start designing for people who had learning challenges. And so now it's just a matter of um, I try to do that as much as possible. I don't think I make it. You know, I achieve it every time, but because I am aware of those challenges, when I design a course now, I will take that into account. Can you do it 100% of the time? Unless you've got a really big, you know, accessibility team behind you like Microsoft does, it's very difficult, but I try to do what I can. What do you do to stay sane when you're not working? Other than sleep. (laughs) Uh, I actually spend time with my family. You know, that's really the biggest thing. My husband has some interesting hobbies, so I'll, I'll support him in that way. Um, or, you know, I'll just, sometimes it's just a matter of driving my kid around, you know, to his various places where he needs to go. Uh, just spending that time with them and being able to reconnect with them, I think is important. Mm-hmm. And that keeps me sane. You know, it doesn't, um, it really reminds me of what's important and what I'm, you know, what my objectives are and why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, and also, I, I talk to my grandmother every night. Um, she's in the Philippines, and she's 99 years old. Wow. So, 
that's like the highlight of my day every day is when I wow. get to talk to her. So well, good for you. And she can answer the phone and talk to you all by herself yeah. too. That's great. Well, she, she has help. She has yeah. help. So we actually, we use Facebook messenger. And so what I'll do is I'll text that I'll text her. Um, yeah. And say, is she awake? Cause you know, she's 99. So she rests a lot. And right. So they'll, they'll call me and then I'll, I usually like, it's only like a couple of minutes, but it's enough, you know? Yeah, it's no, enough. it's, it's wonderful. That's the two-minute warning. To wrap up, I like to ask a 10-question survey that's sort of a personality quiz. It was created for a French TV show, then used by the actor studio in the States, Mm -hmm. and now it's mine. So (laughs) you just say the first thing that pops into your head. You ready? Sure. Okay. What is your favorite word? Possibility. What is your least favorite word? Hate. And what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Huh. I think just being able to um, to sit down and create something or write something. Um, I think my family is a really big inspiration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just also the world around me. But uh, sometimes what I read and sometimes what I um, see. Do you do any also- creative writing? I do actually. I've had three uh, stories published in Chicken Soup for the Soul. So, oh, congratulations! Yeah, thank you. Thank Wonderful. You. Yeah. So I do. I do double that in, in that every now and then. <clears throat> oh, so what turns you off? People making assumptions about other people. What is your favorite curse word? Oh, the F word, definitely. <laughs> I, I I have been known to drop a few F bombs in my lifetime. And what sound or noise do you love? The sound of babies and children laughing. A lot of good playgrounds near where you live? Yeah, and I actually used to work for a nonprofit that um, they were on the second floor and on the first floor was a preschool. So every day the preschool would come out and do their little song and dance. And so, yeah. (laughs) Uh, What sound or noise do you hate? Anything that's screechy, you know, anything that's kind of loud and screechy, I can't stand. What profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt? I think I would have wanted to attempt at being a doctor if I had been able to pass uh, honors chemistry in in tenth grade. <laughs> I think I would have. I think I probably would have stayed on that path is to become a doctor. How much chemistry do you really use as a doctor anyway? I don't know, but I know it's required. I know it's required. <laughs> There's so much chemistry that's required, and it just I just couldn't do it. Um, what profession would you not like to do? Anything messy. So I, you know, I have mad respect for uh, sanitation workers, but I don't think I could do it. And finally, the heaven question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? <laughs> we actually have a joke about that in our family, that my grandmother is so religious that she's getting all of us into heaven for us she prays so much so we have this joke that when we arrive at the pearly gates of heaven they'll say oh you're related to rosie gocheras come right on in come right on in we've got a spot for you here so i think that's, it would be funny if that's actually what i was told when i got up there <laughs> that's great that's my best answer yet now your birds have gone awfully quiet um one of them's asleep and i closed the door on the other four so and what are they they're cockatiels. So they're, they're indigenous to Australia, but they're they're little they're little tiny parents. 
little tiny. The cockatiels I've seen are huge. Uh, they, you might be thinking of cockatoos. Cockatoos. So cockatoos oh. Are, cockatoos are big. It's are different. Big white ones. Yeah, cockatoos are the big white ones, and cockatoos are the like they're they can either be white or gray or yellow. Oh, okay. Uh, so they're all in the same. They're like budgies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit bigger than budgies. They're the next. They're the next size up. I gotta get myself some budgies. I think my they're dog very... would love budgies. <laughs> They're very, they're, they're a lot of work, but they're great animals to have. <laughs> a lot of, have. a lot of poop. Is that what you're trying to say? They're, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I have Clorox wipes all over my house. You know? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much. This has been fun. Thank you, Mitch. I appreciate it. The ID Fanatic drops every Tuesday at noon Eastern time. If you had a good time, please subscribe and let me know what you think on Podbean or Apple or by contacting me, Mitch Moldovsky, on LinkedIn. You can also follow my company page, The ID Fanatic, for updates and occasional free stuff. That's it for now. I sincerely hope that you and all of your loved ones have a totally awesome week. Bye-bye-bye. <laughs>